Kia ora and welcome to the Marlborough Wine Podcast. Whether you're curious about what makes a great wine or what's going on in the soil beneath the vines, come and explore the fascinating world of grape growing and winemaking in New Zealand's biggest wine growing region. This podcast is made possible thanks to the support of River Sun Nursery. I'm your host Sophie, editor of Wine Press Magazine. Wine Press magazine and this podcast are produced by Wine Marlborough, an industry association working to grow, educate, protect and celebrate the region's wine growers. Chardonnay makes up 4% of New Zealand's wine production, but it's getting a lot of attention right now. This month's podcast is being released just before the Aotearoa New Zealand Chardonnay Symposium, which is being run in association with the New Zealand Society for Viticulture and Enology, and it's running in early in October in Hawke's Bay. It's also the lead up to the Marlborough Pinot Bootcamp, which is in fact focused on Chardonnay this year, not Pinot Noir. I speak to Marlborough winemakers Brian Bicknell, one of the speakers at the symposium, and Murray Cook, one of the organisers of the boot camp, about a variety they love to grow, to make, and to talk about. Before we launch into that, I'm joined by Wine Marlborough Advocacy Manager, Nikki Arma. Morena, Nikki. Morena, Sophie. How are you today? I'm good. I'm excited. It's beautiful weather out there, so it feels like the season's about to open um, and all good things are going to happen. You've been driving around wine country this morning. We have. We've been out to set into the Awatere to meet with some growers, um, just to listen to what's going on for them at the moment and um, hear anything that we need to focus on but and share a few things that are happening for us um, in the office and across the industry. So mm. yeah, it's been a good morning. Fantastic. So we're going into spring, bud burst, frost risk. Yep, I think that does raise blood pressures around this time of year, every season, is that frost risk. So we're hoping for an inclement sort of season ahead, fingers crossed. Mm. But, you know, I'm sure there'll be some sleepless nights out there. Mm. And then, of course, with another El Nino season coming through, uh, that predicts some dry weather on the East Coast, which yeah, could be a problem. absolutely. And I think we need to be mindful of that. We've had some very wet seasons of, of um, the more recent years. So, Nino, yeah. yeah, definitely. And thinking about people's water storage and managing that. And it's quite timely, I think, as we go into water reform across New Zealand. Mm. We look at what those limits might be in Marlborough and the policies around that. So a good test for us to just remember how much water we do need to use, what practices are important and what that might look like under a different set of regulations, hopefully not too different. Yeah, so that will be keeping you busy, as well as workforce. So I understand you're part of a working group that's um, really digging into that topic. Yeah, I mean, I think we've been really focused on our seasonal labour especially during COVID, um, and we always are. We've got some big seasonal pressures and a small small regional population here, so that, that makes complete sense. But we also want to understand where our industry is going. We're 50 years this year, so important to mm. think about what that next 50 or beyond might look like and how are we going to get there. Um, a big part of that is our people. Um, we've got some great businesses, obviously fabulous wine in Melbourne. We'll talk about some of those later today. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do want to make sure we've got the right people here into the future. And so what we're doing over the next little while is a national stock take um, of all the skills in, across the wine industry, looking at all the roles from vineyard to market and in the associated businesses, thinking uh, sheet metal fabricators and mm. potentially electricians and irrigation and stuff as well. So we've got a really good sense of the sorts of people and skills we need to ensure our workforce is resilient and thriving into the future. I suppose when some people think of the wine industry, they think viticulturist, winemaker, 
but it's it's far more. A hundred percent, yeah. And it is a really good opportunity right now to just check those assumptions. Definitely, those production roles are important. But we're talking sustainability managers, finance, HR, logistics, bottling. Mm. There's a, there's a lot more to it than that. So this information, I think, will be quite key in giving us a really good story, a nuanced story to share with our future workforce to be able to attract them into the industry, but also understand within the industry what alternative career pathways might be for our, for our current workforce as well. So quite an exciting project. We're looking forward to it. So hopefully everyone does complete that skills survey for us across New Zealand. Great. Thank you. So as you know, uh, today we're talking Chardonnay with Brian and Murray. I and I think br- you know them both. I do, you? I do. Yes, uh, I had a really nice wine tasting with Brian when I first arrived here, and he very kindly <laughs> invited my children round too. So <laughs> we'll follow up on that one. So Brian is the founder of boutique producer Mahi and has been a pioneering force in Marlborough's wine industry for more than 20 years now. Um, devoted to the association of wine to place, something I love, along with hands-off winemaking. He'll be talking about single vineyard Chardonnay at the symposium in Hawke's Bay. Um, he's speaking at the New Zealand Society for Viticulture and Enology Technical Workshop on the first day of the event, among an incredible lineup of other speakers. Yeah, no, it's going to be a pretty great symposium, I think. And Chardonnay is also on the table uh, here in Marlborough for the Pinot Noir boot camp, which is um, Pinot Noir has been shelved with Chardonnay, um, the variety that they're looking at. Uh, lots of people are excited about it, I think, mm. um, even though it's such a small part of um, the region's wine. Yeah, I think that diversity is really exciting for mm. us. So Murray, um, he shifted his careers to um, plans to wine in 2003 after he was on a ski trip to central Otago but got diverted <laughs> by a pruning season. And 20 years on, he's the winemaker at Dog Point Vineyards and part of the committee that organises that boot camp. Uh, so Brian and Murray will both talk about their love of the variety. And it's a variety that can find be hard to find space in Marlborough. You know, Sauvignon Blanc makes up more, more than 24,000 hectares mm. of the 30,000 or so hectares of planted area we've got here. Um, Chardonnay makes up a thousand hectares, so it's mm. small but beloved. Mm. Um, companies like Mahi and Dog Point, they have a larger stake in it. And in this discussion, Murray and Brian just talk about all the reasons we should be planting it, drinking it, talking about it. Yeah, I'm right it. there with them. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> so enjoy. Kia ora, Brian. Kia ora, Murray. Thank you very much for joining me today. Kia ora. So as you know, we're speaking all about Chardonnay, Mm -hmm. which isn't always the hot topic in Marlborough, but is today. Um, Now, to begin with, we start with 15 words about you that someone, um, people might not know. So Murray, tell us all about it. Well, I guess beyond being a wiggle in my past life... uh, Uh, I guess um, some everyone always knows something. So, but uh, maybe less people know they used to have dreadlocks. But uh, in a past life, but uh, <laughs> maybe I wear them on the inside now. Yeah, you're Matt Ward. <laughs> Just to be clear, Murray was not, in fact, a wiggle, but does share a name. <laughs> if you happen to Google him, uh, Brian, fifteen words. Uh, probably the main thing is the reason I'm in the wine industry. I was going to be a marine botanist. And then I got, I needed to get a job at a, and I got a job at a wine shop. And the only reason I was employed was because of the way my stars, stars lined up at the moment I was born. And I don't believe in it, but because he believed in it, he gave me a job in the wine industry and it changed my life. Right now I'd be a marine botanist instead. So. That's amazing. What were your stars doing? 
Uh, so my three, and you can Google it, there's quite a bit about it, and we do have a wine now called the Trine, and what it means is my, th- let's say at not, I think it's 9.24 on the 4th of July, many years ago, my three major planets lined up in a perfect equilateral triangle, which means I have a lucky trine or a grand trine. I don't believe in it, but there's a lot online about it. He believed in it, and it was a guy, Pedro Vesevich. He And so he gave me the job, and it changed my life. Then, weirdly enough, the other day we had some good people over from Wellington for the evening, and one of the women was really into it, and she had a star app, so she put in the di- the moment I was born, the day I was born, and I'm thinking, oh, God, it's going to be, I'm not going to be happy. I won't have a try, but I do, apparently. Oh, so we base everything around it. Nicola, if we're doing anything risky, she just goes, look, you've got a try and we'll be sweet. That's wonderful. Yeah. I'm no, glad it's a they big didn't thing. find out you didn't, in fact, have one because you would have no, had to go to the No, I do. I know, I know. And, I, know, I, know, I, know, I do and I met right. an Irish guy in Brisbane the other day. He's got one. That's great. Mm. Slightly over your 15 words, but yeah, it's really interesting. That was a physical question. So, <laughs> yeah. He can take it out. <laughs> okay, so you did become a winemaker. Yes. You um, helped establish Saracen Estate here in Marlborough yeah. in the 90s. Yeah, probably, but just one step back. So I got a job at the wine shop, which I loved, and that got me into wine. And then I wrote away to a lot of wineries around Auckland, and I would have written 15 letters, and only one person came back, Randy Weaver, an American. And I just did leaf plucking, you know, over Christmas. And then on Saturdays, I'd do the cellar door. That was at Cooper's Creek. Did my first vintage year with Kim Crawford in 89. And then went on, studied Roseworthy. And then other places before Sarah. I'd worked in Hungary. Mm. Yeah, in I Hungary? Back. Yeah, I was flying winemaking with Kim Milne. Mm-hmm. So Kim's an MW from Australia. And he would have had 20 of us, I suppose, in different projects. Warren Gibson was at one, talking about Chardonnay. And um, and so, yeah, and then he recommended me for a job in Chile and then recommended for the job at Saracen. So, yeah, it was all connected, really. So, helped establish Saracen, which yep. is uh, one of the formative organic vineyards yes. here yep. in Marlborough. Yep. And then in 2001, is it? You yeah, so, yeah, I think the thing is I always wanted to have our own place. And so, while I was at Saracen, I was there until 2006, I started Mahi, and I, I didn't want there to be any conflict, and I think this often is. Um, so I said I'd leave. Michael said I stay. And so we started in 01, and then I finished at Ceres in 06, and that's really when we took off. And and also, coincidentally, the old Daniel Lebrun winery became available, so we bought that in 06 as well. Yeah, so it's fundamental. Yeah, yeah in Renwick. Right. Yeah. So mahi, tereo for work or yeah. craft? Craft, the... I would like that. I mean, there's a number of things. I love the language and I like the use of the word. It is our work. You know, it's it's not some romantic investment ideal. It's definitely not that. Uh, so it is our work and there's a big part of that. And I love the idea that wine is a product that's super associated with place. Mm. and considering Bar had been here 800 years longer at least, uh, I thought there was a nice connection there. Mm. Great. And, yeah, I love the word. And for some reason I like M words. I've got a son called Max, daughter called Maya, love my mum, live in Marlborough, and so Mahi just fits. Perfect. Yeah. 
So um, tell us a little bit. You love place. Uh, yep. So tell us a little bit about that place. What do we find if we're at, what's your office? Your, uh, yeah, I like <laughs> your my workplace. office. But um, I think the idea of it was that early on, especially when you're traveling, people thought Marlborough was just one big place. Right, so with Mahi, we started off all single vineyards and really wanted to show the differentiation around the area. Then when we bought the winery, we got a few more vineyards, and so we couldn't have six single vineyards. So vineyards, um, so we've continued with the single vineyard thing, and we've really been working with some of ours, Twin Valley since 2003. Uh, the Alchemy would have been since eleven. And really our place, we really want to make wines, this idea of real wine that we're not manufacturing for a market. You know, we we just, we work with good vineyards, make it very simply, very hands off and put it into a bottle and then get to take it to the some of the best restaurants around the world. So, mm. you know, we, we love this idea of showing people what Marlborough can do. Wonderful. So we'll come back to how Chardonnay yep. fits into that. In the yep. meantime, we've got an M word for you. Yeah, I thought Murray. you were going to say yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I love Murray. I'm sure he was thinking it. Yeah. <laughs> so I uh, hope you can bring in your star signs yeah. here, Murray. <laughs> <laughs> how did you get into the wine industry with your dreadlocks? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Libran, Libran, so uh, all about balance. So um, got first uh, had a, um, I guess, an interest in wine with my parents. Um, Dad always had a, a really good cellar. Um, this was in Australia, so growing up in Australia. And um, so I guess wine was around. Both parents were avid gardeners as well. So um, when I was sort of heading into university, I actually didn't know what I was going to do. Started off with biomedical science. Realised that was going to lead me down a path in a lab, probably looking at bodily fluids, which started to realise this isn't <laughs> going to be a great career for me. So um, definitely changed paths. So first semester done, switched over to arts and science and biology and geography, and it was much more aligned to where I wanted to be, and my interest was right there. So finished that and uh, jumped into the vineyards in central Otago in 2003, was sort of chasing the snow, uh, my girlfriend at the time and now my wife, Rachel. We uh, went down there and actually only got up the mountain once or twice that, that winter, but um, delved into pruning vineyards down in Gibson Valley um, at Peregrine and loved it. And I thought, well, this is this is me. This is what I want to do. Um, so what in. year? When are we now? Uh, this, that was 2003, mm-hmm. so uh, 20 years ago. And uh, Michelle Richardson was the winemaker there mm-hmm. at the time. And Peregrine. yeah, Peregrine. So she'd uh, not long left Villa Maria and uh, was down at Peregrine. And uh, I was talking to her, you know, saying, you know, I really like this as a career. What, you know, what are your thoughts? And she said, well, if you want to do it, you really should go back and study it. Um, so took that on board, went over to Australia in Yarra Valley. So Melbourne was home for five years, and that's where I um, was working at Yearing Station there and um, under the mentorship of Tom Carson, who, yeah, was a, made a big impact for me. Um, it was definitely heavily focused on quality. Um, lots of, uh, for him, lots of show judging. So he's sort of exposed to that arena as well. And, um, it was where, where I went back and studied. So it was over in Oz. And then a job came up in Marlborough in 2008. Actually, Rach found it and, uh, ended up getting the job. And we suddenly realized that Marlborough might be home, you know, little <laughs> Blenheim. And we'd driven through, to, uh, you know, seven or eight years prior, thinking it was a little one horse town. And, uh, could we actually live there? And, 
there was a moment there where we actually wondered going, oh, should we do it? Should we not? But uh, we made the leap and um, quickly adapted to the, the beauty of the place. I mean, it's fantastic for the outdoors for the um you know everything about the town as a as a region i guess what it offers the rivers the lakes the mountains mm. um is is stunning so you quickly adapt and realize how lucky we are to be there you certainly don't come here for the the town life but uh <laughs> and mind you that's a lot better than what it was back then too so was that job at Drog Point Vineyards? That was at Villa Maria oh, at in Villa 2008, Maria. Yeah. came across. And then, uh, yeah, five years later, um, the opportunity arose at Dog Point. So, um, yeah, James and Ivan, the guys that started the company back in 2002, had, um, yeah, they were um, in their 60s at that point and started to realize that we probably should start to think about the future and give a hand to, you know, the heavy lifting and things. So, um, yeah, I got the job then as a winemaker for, for Dog Point, so... 10 years later. Pretty mm. amazing role because, of course, that's Ivan Sutherland and James Healy, two um, Cloudy Bay come dog point um, pioneers in the industry. That's a Absolutely. Pretty good um, shoes following. Yeah, I mean, I'd looked on from the outside. Um, Nigel Soman was a, a very good friend right from um, right from when we first moved here. Um, his wife, Kathy, worked with my wife, Rach, at Spy Valley for a number of years, and then um, they quickly became really good friends, and that uh, was Nigel that actually had... Um, Gave me a phone call and said the guys are looking for someone and um, came in and had a chat. So, and yeah, the rest Great. is history. So, tell us about that dog point. It's the um, largest organic vineyard mm. in the country. Yeah, that's right. So there's uh, 250 hectares of certified organic vineyard, which is a lot more than we need for Dog Point. We use roughly roughly 100 hectares for, for the Dog Point wines, and the rest goes to about a dozen other producers in the region um, that are looking to buy organic grapes. Not all of those. Grapes do end up in organic wines, mm. but a large part of them do. So, um, yeah, so still contract growers for a lot of other companies out there as well as um, looking after our own uh, interests. So, as you know, we're talking Chardonnay. So, how much of that um, vineyard is in Chardonnay? Um, it's a tough one in Marlborough, I think, because Sauvignon Blanc is such a hero variety. Totally, yeah. So for us, it's uh, it's just over 60% planted with Sauvignon. Um, a large portion of the balance is Pinot Noir, mm. and then the, the remainder is virtually all Chardonnay. So uh, it's it's the minority player. It's not the smallest. Probably Riesling would be the smallest, but we don't uh, make that for ourselves. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's something we care deeply about, mm. and uh, it's something that we don't actually sell a lot of the Chardonnay fruit. So it's, it's the lion's share comes stays in-house with Dog Point. Okay, great. And uh, Brian, how much of your? Uh, for us, yeah, for us, we're about fifteen percent Chardonnay. Mm. And just going back to one thing, Murray said, you know, in terms of they keep most of their Chardonnay, it is an issue, you know, around Marlborough that we know that we don't have enough good Chardonnay. So Chardonnay, we I think we're. To be fair, two companies share the same distributor mm-hmm. in New Zealand, and. He, we sell more Chardonnay in New Zealand than we do Sauvignon. Um, mainly to do with the, the the setup of the distribution, but also the styles. And so we find Chardonnay. We, we're actively looking for more Chardonnay at the moment. Mm. And I think the the thing is, we know probably at the moment there's a lot of new, not of not so much new vineyards, but there's more replacement vineyards. So older vineyards being replaced. Well, replanted, a lot of those have been replanted with more Sauvignon. Um, and it's a real pity, and, but I think probably what the market needs to understand 
as the wineries do, that to grow Chardonnay, to grow good Chardonnay, you get, you know, we have to pay. You know, you're now having to pay the equivalent of if they had Sauvignon, which would probably be slightly higher cropped for that mm. vineyard. So, yeah, mm. Chardonnay fruit's gone up in price a lot. It's it's very good. You know, we're cool. In Marlborough, we're two degrees cool. If you said, you know, the home of Chardonnay was, say, Burgundy, the, we're two degrees cooler than Burgundy, so we've got as low temperature retained fruit, but a long period over 10 degrees Celsius to mean, mean so it can ripen it. And Chardonnay, which doesn't have, you know, on the vine, doesn't have a lot of flavour. You know, like Sauvignon tastes great, Gewurztraminer tastes amazing, but Chardonnay doesn't really taste. And when you talk about the fruit characters, you don't, there's not predominant fruit characters that come out. You know, people talk about mm. peach, but that's sort of like, um, so it's not a grape that has a lot of flavour in it. And so this is why it has to be in a cool area because if it's too warm, any fruit flavour that is in there is lost through the skins. And so this is why warm climate Chardonnay really is is not a style that we'd look to drink a lot. So, yeah, Marlborough, mm. I think, is well suited. Well, New Zealand is well suited to Chardonnay. And mm. We need to yeah, plant more. Does it mean that if you're a company that wants to make Chardonnay, increasingly you have to think about planting it and yes. retaining your own mm. because yeah. you're unlikely, less likely to find a grower willing to... I think right. there's a couple of those. I'm sure Maria agrees that it's like it seems certainly be simply Chardonnay. We we would like to plant uh, some Gamay in the future, and I think if you have Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, I think it's probably ones that the producer should probably have themselves. Mm. You don't need to have arguments about dropping crop and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think we'll probably look to plant if but we'd have to lease land really. So I'm Jeff Thorpe. I'm the um, the founder and managing director of River Sun Nursery up in sunny Gisborne. Yeah, I originally started River Sun way back in 1982. I guess I was very fortunate. I discovered my passion for growing plants um, as a 17 year old with a with a big vegetable garden. I followed that passion, and yeah, as I say, started as a one man band and have continued to build it to this day. But I guess it was, yeah, I was fortunate to find that passion, um, to find my life purpose was about a love of growing plants, you know, and hence the growing excellence. You know, I think it comes back to my um, to my upbringing. My dad always taught us, you know, do it once, do it well. If a job's worth doing, it's worth doing well. Quality always sells. He grew up in the Depression. So that was in our family DNA, I guess. So for me, um, yeah, when I started River Sun, it wasn't just about growing plants. I wanted to grow the best plants that I possibly could. And I think at a higher level, my, you know, I believe, I think we're all on this planet to be the best that we can be. So if you're going to um, pick a career and follow, follow a, life, a life passion or a life purpose, then um, give it everything you've got. And that's really what drives, yeah, drives me and, and River Sun's commitment to, to quality and, and therefore innovation really putting ourselves out on the edge. Now, I know all Chardonnays aren't made the same yeah. or grown the same, but if you are drinking a really good quality Chardonnay yeah. from Marlborough, I happen to know that Dog Point and Mahi make very nice Chardonnay, mm. what would you be expecting? What might you um, expect in your glass? 
Yeah, so like Brian was saying, you know, the cool climate does inherently lead itself into, uh, first of all, acidity, like that structure of the wine is, is very taut and has lovely lines right through it. Um, I guess in terms of general flavor profiles, it's definitely in that cooler citrus end of the spectrum. And I think that's where it really works well as, as well from the region. Um, but I mean, it's just, it's just as, as trends and fashions and everything have changed over time too, we're probably seeing more subtleties coming into the winemaking as well. Um, in order to preserve, you know, identity of that place rather than masking it with, you know, as, as it is, uh, you know, a bit more of a neutral grape, you've got the ability to introduce a lot of flavors and, play around with Chardonnay so much but I guess as you move down the line of, of growing growing it and producing it you learn to sort of appreciate its subtleties and maybe mm. that's where some of the best you know components of the grape lie. Mm. I've heard it described as a, a winemaker's grape because there's so much you can do with it or not do with it I suppose. I think I, I, I've seen that talk about the winemaker's grape and, and I think that was probably from a time it's probably different styles to what we're doing mm-hmm. i think it was the time look we did it down in chile and at that time it was what mid 90s and then you can see it in california we did a joint venture with mondavi and they were doing it in california if you did grow shard in a warmer area you know you've got a base and then you've got to add things on you know malo or wood or mm-hmm. leave some sugar whatever um and i think you do that whereas i think probably in a cooler climate I would say it's probably not in a way in that I can only talk to how we make Chardonnay and and you we can't make it any simpler. So it's you know so we don't as a winemaker that's one of the choices obviously mm. is not to do anything. So you could say it was a winemaker's variety for that. So low intervention. Uh, yeah. So we handpick obviously the, the sorting table if required, and then we no additions, so no sulfur, no ascorbic, no enzyme. We whole cluster goes straight to barrel, so the juice is really murky, and then we leave it. And then after, for us, about eight days, the natural yeast take off, and so instead of one yeast doing it, the ferment, you get about six different yeast. And so, but when you really look back on it, and then it just sits in barrel for 15 months, so when you look at it, you've done nothing, really. You've picked it, added nothing, just put the juice into the barrel, let it ferment with its natural yeast, and then just let it rest for 15 months. So I understand the, the sentiment, but no, I think mm. in terms – and I think the best wines, and just yesterday um, at my favourite vineyard in Polini Montrache, one of the Clavion uh, – Le Flav vineyards Clavion was picked yesterday. And, you know, that, that, was the fir- that was the first wine that inspired me at Babbage and – would have been it would have been from eighty seven or eighty eight had it blind, and then you really realized what Chardonnay could do because you know mm. I came from Roseworthy and in Australia because it was a warmer climate, you kept everything cool to retain what fruit character was there, and so you made it Chardonnay very much like Sauvignon, you added sulfur, you predicted from air um often at Babbage, we would start the fermentation and tank and then run to barrel halfway through, which is quite a nice technique because you could retain the fruit and still get the integration. But the wines were made much more like Sauvignon. And now I think over the over those 30 years or 20-something years, it's just people have become much more hands-off, probably more open to more different characters mm. in the wine. You know, you don't it doesn't just need to be fruit 
mallow and wood and something like that, it can have some of those more textural, savoury, struck match characters. And so I think, yeah, there's a greater appreciation of what Chardonnay can be. Tell me, struck match, can you just describe that? Uh, yeah, I think struck match is a good good way of describing it. I think it's something that people can understand. A lot of people talk about minerality. I don't get that so much. For me, it's struck match, and it is. It's, you see it from wines that use your wild yeast ferment, often, you know, with higher solids. And so with higher solids, you know, you ferment faster. And it is a, you know, a nutritional thing. And you get, it's, it is a, the struck match, I see it as being a, a savory element, obviously, that needs to be in balance. Hmm. You know, it's too easy to, to get out of balance. But to me, to see a good one, it's, I like having a little bit there that you can see. Perfect. Mm. Your star sign being all about balance. Yeah. I, <laughs> yes. true for you, I too, fully Murray. agree. I mean, yeah. it's a character that I, I love as well. I've got you know pretty much a long history with it in the Yarra Valley. We're certainly seeing that in some of the Chardonnays there for sure. Uh, but yeah, I think it, it like Brian was saying, it needs to have other character to it as well, and it can't just be a, a fully focused wine all about that. Otherwise, it's just too upfront and too too simple in a, mm. in, a, in a way we're sort of chasing complexity and using it as a tool for complexity but if that's all there is and that's just a one-dimensional wine so yeah i mean you can't have too much oak you can't have too much reduction yeah you can't have too much fruit i mean you've just got to be chasing these complexities which are in the subtlety of the wine and as soon as you can step aside from some of those really strong tools or colors on the palate then yeah you've definitely got something that's going to have more potential for for making a great wine Mm, lovely. I think here, you know, I think in Marlborough, because of that cool temperature, the same thing, we can make quite, nearly quite linear, mm. more fruit-driven Chardonnays, which is quite hard to make, you know, Chablis-esque, that sort of style. It's not the style we make. Um, and we've got a very cool vineyard, the Twin Valleys one, right up the western end of the valley in Farham Lane. It doesn't matter how sort of big you try to make that, and we don't want to make big wines, it's always a bit more linear, right? So if you if you just, if you tank fermented it, as, you know, obviously there used to be a lot of non-wooded Chardonnays, it would be quite a very, it could be simple, yeah. but it will still have the inherent fruit character, but it could be more linear, whereas by, you know, by barrel fermenting with wild and high solids, it just gives that textural element. And there's a great book by... Alan Young on Chardonnay. And then I remember there was this one that they interviewed um, Brian Crozer on Chardonnay. And he talked about this thing that it's Chardonnay's really all about the the pleasure in the mid palate. You know, it's just it's not upfront fruit. It's not super it's got good length, but it's not hasn't got the acidity of it, some other varieties. It's just that sort of that sensual thing in the mid palate, and it's not creamy as and buttery but it's a cream feel on the mid-palate, and that's, that's sort of what we look for. And I just think, um, yeah, it's a variety with so much potential here. Mm. So speaking about that specific vineyard mm-hmm. and what you um, expect or, or are prepared for in that vineyard, yeah. we've got the Aotearoa New Zealand um, Chardonnay Symposium coming up. Yes. Um, that's on 5 and 6 October, and as part of that uh, is the New Zealand Society for Viticulture and Oenology Technical Workshop, which yes. I know you're speaking at, and yes. and you're speaking about um, single vineyard. Yeah. Uh, is that right? Yes. So really the idea 
and it's quite an interesting idea, the the single vineyard idea. You know, it's like you're focusing on one part or one place. Does it make it a better wine? Possibly not, because you know you can, if you can do the blending over three good vineyards, mm. maybe you can make a better wine. So I, but for me, and it, it hankers back to that time when I was travelling a lot in Chile and at Saracen that people thought Marlborough was just one big place, and so I love this idea of showing the different vineyards. And so we've continued to do it with Chardonnay and with our Twin Valleys. Up there, it's just yeah, it's a special site. It's a bit more elevated. Uh, it's cool. And then our other one, the Alchemy, closer to the river, a little closer to the sea. Not sort of. It's still Rapara, um, just to pull uh, Jeffrey. Sorry, mm-hmm. and it's always fuller. It's always richer. And so you make. It's the nicest thing. I did it the other day. We did two. 2017s beside each other, not the easiest vintage, but because Chardonnay comes in so early, it came in before the three cyclones, and we did the two wines beside each other, and it's just it really emphasised the difference mm. and picked similar times with similar ripenesses. Twin Valley's always is more linear going that way, and Alchemy's always got a little bit bigger. So I- to see this typicity thing coming through is really important. I have to say, Brian communicates very much with his face and his oh, hands. hands. Yeah, so yeah, 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 highly yeah. recommend yeah, if you yeah, can go yeah, to a yeah. winemaker dinner, <laughs> you go because you might only be getting half of this. So it's interesting, I think, we've got this conference coming up and mm. then here in Marlborough, Murray, you got, is it the chair of the Pinot Bootcamp? Is that your title? Uh, uh, maybe unofficially. <laughs> <laughs> we so, like to think about it as a, as a committee. We uh, we have a lot of hazy beer catch-ups, and uh, we actually <laughs> just call it a hazy meeting when we're uh, when we're organising these things. But there's a group of us on it. So it's, it's Pat, who used to be at Mahi as well, um, Nat Christensen at Yearlands, um, Rochelle at Greywacky, Nigel at Dog Point as well, and Brownie from uh, Framingham as well. So, That's a good lineup. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so winemakers, and there was a, there were there were an original gang as well. So it was Hatch from from oh, and yeah. um, James. Healy and Mike Patterson and a few others on there as well that used to um, it basically came out of the um, Pinot Noir celebration in Wellington in 2010 and um, I sort of came away from it going Marlborough's really you know needing to get on the map and make Mm. more of a presence for itself so we need to get together as a group and and really push the boundaries of Pinot Noir so um so for a number of years it was Pinot Noir focused and it, and it was up at um, the Pine Valley School Camp, oh, yeah, which was great. pretty classic. There was uh, can't go down that big slide. Exactly, there were a few <laughs> few injuries on that slide actually because I uh, discovered that you actually need water to slide down it rather than losing your skin on a dry rubber mat. That claimed a few lives as well. <laughs> So, so people are going to wonder why we're talking about a Pinot boot camp. But, yeah, um, the so a couple last of years ago, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so last year we decided, right, we've looked at Pinot because there's the Hanma Southern Pinot Noir workshop as well. So we decided, right, let's. we really want to look at Chardonnay. There's a lot of interest in it. We all love it as a group. I think, um, you know, Brian was talking about growing it as well. I think you've got to love it to grow it because, mm. you know, if you look at it on a spreadsheet, it's, you're going to plant Sauvignon. You gotta love it. So um a group of us uh decided, right, let's look at Chardonnay. And um huge success. We had Michael Brykovich down from Kumia mm. River. Um we started off with, yeah, probably one of New Zealand's most well known Chardonnay producers. 
Um, and we took, for that one, we took a back step. We looked at New Zealand and Marlborough specifically. We also invo- involved Nelson in this as well. So, um, a couple of Nelson producers come over as well. And, uh, we, we honed in on what, what we're currently seeing with what we're producing in a national context as well as in an international context. Um, so really insightful. And from that, we sort of came away going, right. Let's look at some trial work. So, um, as opposed to the the Hanma workshop, we uh, we basically put a room full of about forty four producers, as much as we can fit into that Alpine Lodge up at St Arnold, and um, might be ten ten of those producers would put forward some trial wines that they've got, and we might put a call out for for you know some ideas of what people might have, whether we want to look at late picking, early picking, use of oak use of solids, use of oxygen, all the sorts of topics that you might imagine that are involved with Chardonnay and then see what people have got in their cellars and, and offer some trials to, to look at. So we're currently in the process of finding those trials at the moment. So no doubt there'll be some some gems in there. And, you know, that's the Marlborough community. We all share huge amounts of knowledge and, and insight because, you know, you can you know you get one harvest a year. Mm. <clears throat> so to be able to look at those trials that everyone else is producing, we can all learn faster and more rapidly get you know better quality so at this year's one will you be looking back at some of the insights you already have or is this a long-term project so this is the first one that we'll be looking at trial work for mm. marlborough chardonnays mm. yeah so so this sort of sets the path forward as well great so you only get one harvest a year very true and chardonnay can be a little bit prickly in the vineyard right is that right so totally yeah tell us why it's a bit sensitive chardonnay well Powdery mildew loves Chardonnay, for starters. That's affected mm. us for, for quite a few years. Um, last year we discovered downy mildew loves Chardonnay. Um, Botrytis loves Chardonnay. So you've got the trifecta of those fungal diseases which which can play havoc um, with it. So, And that's another thing we could be discussing too is the, the viticultural aspects that are changing with our climate and the adverse weather events that we're getting too. So, yeah, you've got you've got challenges in the vineyard um, that make it you know quite challenging to grow. Um, but when you hit that 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 high note of Chardonnay, mm. it's like it it is a great wine. I, I really like the way um, Andrew Jefford talks about wines of astonishment. I think Chardonnay is one of those varieties that that totally for me hits those notes that other wines may not. Oh, that's fantastic! So with those the powdery and the downy slipskin. Mm. It, You've got to go and thin the fruit. I think with slipkin, it just falls off in front of the harvester, doesn't it? Exactly. So do you just end up with a greatly reduced crop of what is already quite a low exactly. cropping? Yeah, so you variety. start with a low base of yield anyway, and then you add those um, disease pressures in there, and, and all you can do really if you've got them is to remove them before you before you harvest them. And so that just ends up affecting your yield, which affects your bank balance, which affects how much wine you make and how much of the market you can affect as well. So 2023, though? Pretty awesome. good. Yep. Yeah, awesome. Pretty happy. Yeah, it's a very <laughs> strong year, which is great. So good to see it back again. Um, yeah, the, the season did turn. So we had a pretty tough lead up into, you know, the spring was pretty challenging. Lots of rain events and humidity that we don't normally get. Um, so it set, you know, a you know, really challenging start to the season. But luckily, like Marlborough delivered in terms of its weather and that sort of February, March was and April were fantastic. So we had a great finish, which was a r- real relief. Brian, what do we expect from 2023 Chardonnay? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think right across, I think, all varieties. It was it was one of those years that that looked really tricky. It could have gone bad quite quickly, but it, yeah, just held together. Um, just one thing going back about Chardonnay, I think there's two other things in terms of vineyard and growing. 
I think, you know, as well as being susceptible, it's a, it's a weak variety. We find if something's going to get trunk diseases, it'll be Chardonnay. It's a variety that's quite floppy. Mm. So, you know, it's not like Sauvignon that is very upright, upright going straight up. So trying to describe it. It's, <laughs> we, instead we, of, saw, we saw you. Okay, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> instead of um, instead of the variety being very upright, it's quite floppy. So by rights, you should use, you nearly need an extra wire. When you set up the vineyard, there's more training. It is susceptible to trunk diseases, but one of the great things is it comes in early. So, you know, like if you can get it, if you can get it ripe, um, it comes in at least, like as I said, in 17 before the cyclones mm. hit. So it's a nice variety for some of those harder areas, harder years. And just one thing quickly about Michael Brokovich. Um, he sort of changed my Chardonnay thing altogether. In way back in the beginning, it'd be like early 90s, when all wine that was exported had to go through a tasting panel. I was on a tasting panel with Joe Babich and Michael Brykovich, and I just got out of Roseworthy, and you know, Michael was a bit of my hero. Mm. And then after the tasting, I asked him three of the, two of the most boring questions you can. Um, one of them was, What yeast do you use for your Chardonnay? And he said, Oh, we don't use any yeast. And that blew my mind. You know, I just come out of Roseworthy. <laughs> and then I said, Oh, what temperature do you ferment your Chardonnay? Said, oh, I can't believe I was so. Um, and he said, oh, we don't control the temperature. So that just changed my whole way of looking at wine. And it was so good to happen early in your career. And then I had the Domaine Le Flav at a blind tasting. I knew it was made like that, and it was my favourite wine ever. So you could just see that whole life thing, that all the best wines we ever are going to drink are made super simply, mm. and Chardonnay is so perfect for that. Murray, do you have any of those moments, those epiphanies? It doesn't have to be about Chardonnay. But. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, in terms of tastings, for sure, I've had a few of them over the years. Um, one of them was a Pinot Noir, actually. Uh, in, in Australia, it was an after-harvest party, and um, Tom was uh, pretty generous with his cellar. And it was a Clos d'Etat, 1970, and it was just like one of those mind-blowing moments where just like you don't realise how great wine can be. And, yeah, just one of those wines that just sticks with you. Um, yeah, and certainly Chardonnay can do that as well for sure. Yeah, yeah. So Brian, you've talked of um, the fanatics required to keep Chardonnay planting and sustained in uh, Marlborough. Yeah. Are, there, are there enough of them around? Enough wine fanatics, wine making fanatics? I think so. Yeah, and I think, but the thing is, I think it's more is is the market there, mm. and I believe with both Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, um, New Zealand and Marlborough. Pro- Provides really quite good, really good value mm. for you know the quality. I mean, you look at some of the Pinot requirements now of you know re- obviously low cropping and really sensitive winemaking now. So even though the wines look expensive, if you look internationally, they're not, and we start looking at bit cheap in some places. So you know, I think the market's there. I think people love Chardonnay. I mean, we've got that. Remember there was that thing, anything at the ABC group, anything but Chardonnay. It's just like you can't you can't do that about any variety. You can't do it about Sauvignon or Chardonnay. You can't say I don't drink something. It's like nobody's gonna turn down a Dagano Sidelex at seven hundred bucks a bottle <laughs> or white Bordeaux for Sauvignon. So yeah, I find that a bit hard. But no, I think there's I think the the there's good market. Um 
and we just need to keep finding better sites. Well, that's good news as far as I'm concerned. Mm. So um, now to wrap up for my weekend, I already feel like a glass of Chardonnay, but mm. um, do you have a wine and food match to inspire us? I got one. Go, Murray. Classic barbecue chicken, butterfly chicken on the barbecue over wood or coals for sure, and uh, coming up into spring, so those new potatoes aren't going to be too far away. Um, loads of butter and garlic on those, and then a fresh garden salad. I mean, glass of Chardonnay with that, it's going to go pretty well. And uh, now we're starting to be able to sit outside again, and um, yeah, uh, just a classic simple dish like that is mm. um, yeah, as long as you've got some good friends. Not too cold, but um, yeah, I mean, if it's hot outside, it's going to be chilled for sure, but um, yeah, you don't need to overdo it. Perfect. Right. Yeah, and think for me it was more sort of um, with seafood. So I, look for me scallops. I think you can you've got to be really careful not to put something too big in terms of a wine. Like a, if you did a really big warm climate Chardonnay with scallops, it just gets too sweet and too sweet. And so for me, you know, some of the more linear styles of Chardonnay from around here with scallops and a salad are great. How are you cooking the scallops? Oh, just very quickly on the back of the boat if we. We have a barbecue there, but oh, we don't. Yeah. No, no, no. I don't have barbecue or something. <laughs> Listening to some Leonard Cohen, I think, is what yeah, you yeah, told me, and your yeah, kiddo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful. Thank you very much for coming in, and um, hope to see you soon. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks, Sophie. Cheers. That was Brian Bicknell and Murray Cook. A big thank you for their time. This podcast was made possible by Wine Marlborough and River Sun Nursery. Thank you for listening. See you next time.